One of the marks of a believer, John talks about in his epistle, 1 John, is that we are losing our love for the world. God is so good. Even as a believer, sometimes he lets us, you know, enjoy some things. But as we grow in the Lord, pretty soon those things that before Christ were so important to us, they're just not important anymore, are they? Because he said, set your affection not on things on the earth, but on things above. Don't focus on the temporal, but on the eternal. And there's a trial that goes along with that sometimes. And that's what 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is about. That we make sure our lives are a reflection of who we are in Jesus Christ. Ben? Good morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When one of you has a grievance against another, does he dare go to law before the unrighteous instead of the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more than matters pertain to this life? So if you have such cases, why do you lay them before those who have no standing in the church? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is no one among you wise enough to settle a dispute between the brothers, but brother goes to law against brother, and that before unbelievers? To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Father, we thank you that you give us instruction. Lord, maybe there are new believers here and they, they grew up in a home that things were practiced that they just see as normal, but now we have your instruction. Help us not to look to the world 
or compare ourselves by the world or even among ourselves, but we might be looking at you that we might be a reflection of your love and your grace, your holiness to a lost world around us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 1 Corinthians 6, we've been looking at the book of 1 Corinthians because we should be living supernatural lives. Paul wrote to the Galatians and he said, are you on drugs that you think you could begin your life in Christ by the spirit, but be made perfect by the flesh, by going back to the law and, and giving laws and all kinds of, of, uh, of uh, standards and rules for people to live by? Same thing here. Only here what had happened is they'd come to Christ, but then decided they could go back and partake of the philosophies they came out of before. You know, what's the value system of the world? Well, get all you can. Can all you get? Stomp on everybody that gets in your way. That's the world's philosophy of wealth. It's just what you got to do to get to the top. Or morality. Well, just an appetite. Do what you want. And then learn to compare yourselves by other people. I'm not as bad as so-and-so. At least I don't do this, right? When the standard is not what I think, it's Jesus Christ. So first of all, in verses one through six, he's, he can't believe they're suing one another in public court because of money. He said, you're acting just like the world. Does any one of you, and you have a case against your neighbor, your Christian brother, take it to the public courts? Well, that's what they did before. Some didn't even think about it. Oh, we got a problem. We can't resolve it. He thinks this, I think this, so we're just going to court. They'll settle it. He said, listen, one day believers will judge angels. He has told them in the beginning, first two chapters, we have a wisdom from God the world doesn't know anything about. Chapter two says, the last verse of chapter two says, we have the potential for the mind of Christ in anything. So if they're a brother that they've got into a business dispute somehow, they sold something, a service or a goods or something, and then the other guy didn't, you know, he didn't, bring what he was supposed to the table, so now they have this disagreement. It's good that you bring it. How's the Bible say to do that? First of all, you go to your brother and say, you know, you said you were gonna do this, but you didn't do this. If they have good spirit, said, you know, you're right. And maybe said, you know, I, I want to, but I can't. I don't have anything left. Maybe the job was more, he was starting out, the job was more than he anticipated and he can't afford to do anymore. Then his brother's called to forgive him. But maybe it's a young believer or an immature believer that's just being belligerent. Well, I'm not gonna. Sue me, right? That's what people say. Sue me, go ahead. Rich guys like to say that because they keep their attorneys on retainer and it doesn't cost them very much. And they know that poor people can't sue rich people. So the rich people, the Bible says, and uh, Solomon wrote, they answer roughly because they can't, you know. But he said, listen, you ought to get together. And what's the proper way? You go to your brother by yourself and if you can't deal with it, you bring somebody else. And if you can't get it resolved, then you say, hey, listen, maybe the elders should weigh in on this. Because if they're really both looking for wisdom, they'll be happy with whatever the, the elders come up with. But he said, ultimately, just taking it to public court, you already lost. Even if you win the judgment, you're a loser. You're acting like all the losers and defrauders of the world. You already lost. 
You think you're the one responsible for making money. You say, well, he's taking money out of my bank account. No. Who owns your business? See, these first six verses are making the point that your business is the king's business. Ephesians chapter six, if you're a servant or you have a business, you need to remember, you may work for a really obstinate boss. The Bible says you don't work for that boss. You have a higher standard. You're not to do eye service as men pleasers, but as unto the Lord. You have a higher calling. Maybe the people around you say, what are you serving like that, that jerk? You're, you're being so faithful and he doesn't treat your eyes as he's not the one providing. Well, yeah, he writes your check. He writes a check, but God owns his business. Even if he's not a believer, this is the king's business. Everything we do in our life is the king's business. Whether you have a business or not, it's the king's business. In verse five, he says, I say this to your shame. Brother goes to law with brother and that before unbelievers. What are the problems here? Number one, they weren't loving one another. In their value system, it had gone back to being like the world and money was more important than their brother. Secondly, they didn't care about their witness to the world. They didn't care. What did the world think of the Hey, as long as I get mine, I want to win. I got to win. We might call this Christian Business 101. Number one, who is the owner of your business? That's a wonderful thing to think about. That's a peaceful thing to think about when things aren't going well. And then you can let the Lord exist. Say, Lord, we got some bills coming up here and business is really tight. I've told you this before, but it blesses my heart. When Mike Fortman first got saved, he owns Fortman Paint and Glass, so shop there. And he said, you know, Paul, Walmart has added paint, so I guess I won't have a business anymore. I said, or you're going to see God bless you supernaturally. And Mike says he's never lacked since that time. And God's opened different kinds of business he hadn't even imagined coming out of his store. See, because you got an unfair advantage, Mike. Your pastor prays for you, and you belong to God. It doesn't matter what the world's doing. They could put Starbucks right across from your coffee shop, huh? God knows. God knows he's the blesser. He owns it. I told you a story before. It's, it's, it's a high water mark in my life. It used to bother me so much, make me angry that my son PJ would lose all my tools, didn't respect my tools, leave them outside and they get rusty. I said, PJ, you got to respect my tools. One day God really convicted me. He says, now, Paul, you know, I'm not saying he showed up and talked to me verbally, but he gave me the thought in my mind I was starting to get angry. So what's more important, your tools or your son? So I gave all my tools to my son. And he still left them outside. It didn't bother me anymore. Now he has tools, and he, his son probably leaves them around too. God owns your business. It's his stuff. It's his stuff. Second, who's the blesser of your life? Are you the one that's responsible for bringing the business in? All of a sudden, business starts going bad and you get all uptight and you start, uh, you know, you can treat your employees and your spouse and everybody else because business is going bad. Hey, listen, here's the, relax. He's called you to be diligent. 
You do all you can do. And then you can just rest. So if you're getting angry, recognize that's idolatry. It's idolatry of self, especially if you're an entrepreneur because you're saying, oh, why am I not doing a better job? Uh, people don't like me. My friend Guy Hampton was telling me this week he kind of enjoys doing business up in uh, Montana because he said he's been in construction business a lot around here and he goes up and helps his brother. He's up in Montana, the different construction guys help each other out. Down here, it's kind of like there's only so much money. So if you get the job and I don't, you stole from me and I hate you, right? Hey, as a believer, we don't have to be in that, that place. We don't have to be there. God can give you a job you never even thought of. He can open up an opportunity for business. And if, listen, life is an adventure, especially when we're following Jesus, we belong to him. We belong to him. So you see maybe a business coming to an end and you're like, oh, what's gonna happen? Trust the Lord. I was reading uh, Matt and Andrew and I are going through the Bible in our Bible study and I was reading 1 Samuel this week and you know, after... Saul found out that David was anointed to be the next king. He just decided to hate him. Had nothing to do with his own wickedness. He just decided to hate David. So he's always chasing him around. But God had anointed David to be the king. David should have been able to rest in that. I'm going to be the king. And he had opportunity to kill Saul. And he said, I cannot do that. His heart convicted him because even when he had a chance in the cave and Saul didn't know him and his men were there, reach out and cut a part of Saul's garment off. And he went outside and he said, listen, king, live forever. I love you. Why are you chasing me down? I'm just this helpless flea. Why do you care what I do? And Saul said, oh, David, my son, you're more righteous than me. I love you. I'm just wrong, right? So he goes back, but then pretty soon he's chasing him again. This time, God supernaturally puts Saul and his men, even his bodyguard, the general of his army, to sleep. They walked into the camp, took Saul's spear and his water jug and walked up on top of the hill and said, hey, Joab, uh, weren't watching the king very well, were you? What? I got his spear and his bolster of water so when we leave, you can come up and get it. Supernaturally protected. The next chapter. David says, surely Saul's gonna kill me. He's gonna do it. I know he is gonna kill me. That's us, isn't it? A little panic. Things were a little short. Oh, God's going to kill me. No, 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 no. He knows the days of your life. It's just a pop quiz. In the adventure, he's just given you some time to see how much you can bench press. But remember, he's there spotting you. He loads the bar up for a squat and that bar is just bending, right? Financial challenge. And he said, I want, you can do this. And you're going... Have you seen my legs? But I'm standing right here, son. And he puts you under that thing and you get to the bottom and you go, oh man. And all of a sudden the bar starts moving, right? Because your spotter's there. He knows how long your life's gonna be and he has gifted you on purpose. But the goal is not how much you get in the bank. You know that T-shirt I, uh, Yancey Brown used to wear? I was coaching football. He's a Christian kid on a football team, and his T-shirt said, he who dies with the most toys on the back, I said, still dies. Yeah, you're not taking any of that to heaven with you. In the meantime, we're really stewards of his stuff. 
So he's given you giftedness. He's given you, some of you are gifted businessmen. I mean, I'm so thankful. We have a church full of entrepreneurs. You know what's cool about that? You sweat every day, right? You have to see every day and be diligent about your business. And when you're a godly man, you just know you rest in him. You just have to say, Lord, when you begin to lose it, you say, Lord, that's sin. I know you got this thing. And if he closes the door, he's going to open another one. He owns your business. Who's the blesser? Can you bless God more than he can bless you? See, that's where we get mistaken. That's all right, God, I've got this. No, you don't. He says in James 5, go to you that say you're going to go here, there, this city and that city, buy and sell and get a gain when you don't know what's coming tomorrow. What's your life? It's like a vapor. It appears for a little bit and then it's gone. So what we should say, if God wills, we're going to go do this or that or the other. God's will. And that's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is so precious to us. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. You may know your business very well, but isn't it awesome? He invented it. Whatever your business is, whatever science you deal with in construction or teaching or you know, whatever your product is, he invented it. Acknowledge him and he'll make your path straight. And then lastly, in, in business, Christian business one-on-one, what's the goal for your life? How much you can amass? Jesus said, if a man gained the whole world and lose his own soul, is that a good business deal? No, it's not. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 says, whether you eat there or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And give no offense, either Jews or Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of the many, so they may be saved. See, the Corinthians have forgot that. They just wanted, they didn't love their brother and they didn't care about the world or what they thought. Paul says, listen, we need to have a value check. Verses seven through 11 what is success or failure? It's not how much money you get or if you get the good deal. We have a different value system in the world. So verses seven through 10, he says, you're living like defeated defrauders. You're living like the losers of the world whose destiny is eternity away from God. Is that, the, was that what you want to reflect in your life? Actually, then, it's already a defeat for you that you have losses with one another. Why not rather be wronged? Why not be defrauded? It's just money. God can put that back. I heard of a pastor who had a mechanic in his church that fixed up his truck for him one time, rebuilt his engine. And it didn't last too long. It started, broke down. But the pastor's son and his friend were good mechanics, so they began to go through, they were just high school kids, they began to go through the list of everything the mechanic said he did to the engine, and guess what? He didn't do that stuff. Just old worn parts in there, not new parts. Oh, what you gonna do, pastor? The pastor said, well, we're gonna let God deal with them. If you can treat your pastor that way, and that's the problem with you, God's the one that's gonna make that right. So, but it costs money. Yeah, it's just money. It's just money. God doesn't look at our lives and look at our bank accounts and value us on that. 
He values us by what he paid for us. What was that? The precious blood of Jesus. That's our value. Now how much we, we don't bring anything to the table. There's nothing we can do. Paul preached in Acts 16 that brings, makes God richer. No, no, no. He satisfied in himself. What he loves is when his children just trust him. He said, it'd be better for you just to be defrauded. But on the contrary, here you are wronging and defrauding one another. You're just like the losers in the world. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? See, they think everything's right here, so they defraud one another with all of their appetites, whether it's money or sex, whatever it is, it's justified because they only have this one life. You only go around once, so get all you can. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Those who practice homosexuality, immoral people, idolaters, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, swindles will inherit the kingdom of God. But verse 11, he says, listen, you've already won. If you possess Christ, you already own everything he owns. You're a child of the king. Isn't that something? You got a bill coming down the road and if you trust the Lord and you say, I'm gonna fix income, Lord. Say, fixed on what? Well, it's fixed on you, Lord. It's fixed on you. I love a story that Ray, my beloved brother in the Lord, tells. God told him he was supposed to give to a, a children's fund to, to feed needy kids. And he said, Lord, I don't have that much. He could argue a little bit, but he said, I'm just gonna do it. And he had some bills his wife had passed away. He had some of those bills left over from her treatment. A lot of bills. So God just put his grandson in the pros. And one day, never asked, never said a thing, his grandson said, hey, Grandpa, here's a check. I want to pay all your bills off. Who owns that? God does. God, he can do whatever he wants. And he loves to show himself strong that way, doesn't he? See, we like to have life laid out. I do this, I get this, and it's all orderly. But God comes in, he just wrecks that paradigm with his amazing supernatural provision. And then we just go, God, you are awesome. Because we have him. We're the children of the king. He said, listen, you are washed. One of the most powerful pictures, I like the way the King James puts it, is Revelation 1.5. The king of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, washed us from our sins in his own blood. Is that personal or what? You belong to him. He laid his life down for you. You think he's gonna let you linger or languish in any way? No, he's leading you. He's providing for you. You are washed. You are sanctified. You've been set aside for his purposes, not yours. His purposes. Now that's where we buck a lot because it does get uncomfortable sometimes, but realize he's just trying to conform us to his image. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Romans 8, 31 talks about how secure we are in him. And it says, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us, how will he not also with him freely give us all thanks, right? 
Whatever he's called you to do, you're not the provider of that. No, he is. That's why as the elders and we're getting together and we're talking about, Lord, you've given us all these wonderful people and we need to house them. I wish we were kind of in Costa Rica and then we just build a roof, but roof wouldn't help much in Laramie. We kind of have walls too, right? Helps because that wind goes this way 100 miles an hour. And so sometimes our first responsibility is, well, how much can we afford? That's the wrong question. God can afford whatever he wants. The question is, what does God want us to do? That's the question. That's what we pray about. That's what we're trying to assert. What does God want us to do? Because he's promised to provide wherever he leads us. This is his ministry, his church, his building. And you know what? It's all gonna burn. The only thing eternal in here is you. You're the precious thing. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus is the one who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. He is our advocate. The last half of the chapter talks about our bodies. See, the Corinthians said, well, if you have appetite, just feed it. If it's food, whatever it is, you're going to have to. It's the, the body's just the body. It's going to die. And Christians could kind of take on some of that worldly philosophy. Well, the body's going to die anyway, so it doesn't matter what I do with it now. Well, Paul says that's not true. The body's not yours to do with what you want with it. The body belongs to God. Your business is the king's and your body is the king's. Verse 12, he said, your body should not be mastered by anything. You've been set free from sin. And the only thing mastering your body should be the Lord. And we all have different weaknesses, don't we? Maybe for some of us, it's food. Now, you know, I love toast. My favorite breakfast is toast and coffee, toast with butter. But I don't have much toast and butter because it tends to just hang around. I don't do much bread. I like bread. It's a Martin value to like bread, homemade bread toasted with butter. But I can't have that much. I have to say no. We can be mastered by, by, by our appetites. And the Bible says, no, we're not to be mastered by anything. The world, they're mastered by all their appetites. Just see what they talk about. They're mastered by alcohol and how much they drank last week. Or some are mastered by drugs. Others are mastered by sex. And they say, well, it's just the body. It's an appetite, feed the appetite. No, Paul says, all things are lawful, not all things are profitable, all things are lawful, but I will not be mastered by anything. Food is for the stomach, the stomach's for food, God's gonna do away with both of them. Yet, the body is not for immorality. The last two verses state that. You don't own yourself. Thirdly, verse 14, the body is valuable to God. Isn't that something? The body's gonna die, it's gonna go in the grave, it's gonna be like a seed, it's gonna disintegrate. And then one day, the Bible says a trumpet's gonna sound and the dead in Christ are gonna rise wherever those that have died in the Lord, it could be at sea, could be in the ground, God's gonna pull all those particles back together and we're gonna be changed the bodies are precious. That's why as Christians, we practice, we have funerals and we, we gather around the body and then we take it to the graveyard. We put the grave down in the body. What are we saying? This is just a seed. So don't pay a lot for a coffin. God's gonna blow that thing up one day. 
I don't care if it's got a concrete box they put the coffin in. That thing's going to disintegrate right out of the ground. The Bible says the graves are going to be opened. And the dead in Christ will rise. The body is precious for the Lord. Now God has not only raised up the Lord, he'll also raise us up through his power. 1 John 3, 2. Beloved, now are we the children of God. And it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. He's going to change our bodies. Everyone that has this hope of seeing the Lord, because you belong to the Lord, purifies himself even as Christ is pure. We're called to holiness. That's something he put in you, to desire to be holy, not like the world. Our bodies are to reflect, verses 15 through 17, our bodies to reflect our own master's righteousness. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? So they didn't take away the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Huh? You want to take Jesus down to the house of prostitution? Would you do that? No, no, we, we have this idea that we kind of sin by ourselves. Some of you fellas, you're looking at pornography and you're looking at the screen. Well, this is just, you know, just me. It's something I'm just kind of dealing with right now. No, it's you and the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And that's a good thing to remember. You really think it's right to involve the Holy Spirit in this garbage? No. And that Paul just, he's making it really clear. So some of these were just going back to the same place. See, they, they, they practice a kind of worship, uh, synchronistic worship, I think it's called, where um, you would go down and you worship the goddess of love by sleeping with the temple prostitutes and you just glorified the goddess of love. Some of the Christian men were still doing that. He said, you can't do that. Do you? Do you know that the one who joins himself to a prostitute is one body with her? For he says, the two shall become one flesh. That's what he says about marriage. So you say, well, if I slept with somebody, I was married to them? No. But Paul in Ephesians chapter five calls the, 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 the physical relationship in marriage is a very precious thing. And he says, it's a mystery. It's a mystery how two become one. And then out of that union comes these children. They're amazing, aren't they? these babies that are born. But when you have that relationship with people that you weren't married to, there's a tearing of your soul, tearing, a tearing that just calluses your life. So you can be, be forgiven of that. Of course you can be forgiven of that. But he says here very clearly that verse 18 Every other sin a man commits is outside the body, but, but the immoral man sins against his own body. And we have women today saying, I have rights over my body and I can have an abortion if I want. No, not their body. That little life within them is not theirs, but the believing woman can't say she has rights over her body. The believing man can't say, it's my body, I'll do what I want with it. No, you're not your own because he owns you. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you may have from God, that you do not belong to yourself? That is an amazing principle for us to get in our heart and life so we always check with God about everything because our business, our bodies are not our own. God, what would you like me to do? You get up in the morning and the first thing you ought to say is, God, thank you for another day to serve you. 
What do you want me to do today? And then he gives us instruction. Whatever you have in your hand, he's made, given you a business. He's given you a profession. He's given you a career. You do that hardly under the Lord and he'll let you know if it needs to change. You do that faithfully to the Lord. Your body's a temple of the Holy Spirit. He is in you. You have him from the Lord and you are not your own. Why? Because you have been bought with a price. And first Peter says, that price is not corruptible silver or gold from your vain behavior in the world before, but with precious blood, the blood of Jesus Christ. And you might think, oh, I can't do what I want. Why would you want to do what you want? First Peter 4 says, you know, the time has already passed for you to have fulfilled all the lusts of the Gentiles. You did all that wild party life. And what did it bring you? But destruction. It just brings destruction and death. He set you free. Not only you are a servant of, of the most high God, but you are a child of the king. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Romans 12 says, after 11 chapters on salvation, 11 chapters about the great doctrine of salvation that we're saved by faith and not by our own works, by the blood of Christ. And then he comes to chapter 12 where he's gonna start giving us practical applications. So how do we live? He says it starts with this attitude. I urge you therefore, brethren, because of God's great mercy, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, not you. It's not your standard. What does the Bible say? Well, I think this is okay. It's okay if I live with my girlfriend because we're in love and we're engaged. No, no, that's sin. That's sin. Well, it's okay if I do this because a lot, no. It's unwise to compare yourself by yourself or among yourselves. The standards in the word of God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. This is your service of worship. To every day say, Lord, I belong to you. I just want to follow you. Be my shepherd today, Lord. The world doesn't have that. They have no shepherd. They have no protection. And Satan hates them. He's out to destroy them. He hates everything that God created. They have no protection. And don't be conformed to the world. The world doesn't have a standard for you. There's no wisdom for you in the world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you do that? By saturating your mind with the word of God. So it becomes what the Holy Spirit can use for every decision. You can have the mind of Christ. Don't be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might find out what is that good, acceptable, the perfect will of God. God's mind in everything because we belong to him. Father, we thank you that you loved us so much. Now, as we gather around the communion table, once again, you remind us that everything we have, everything we are, our giftedness, our opportunities, all that is yours because the highest calling in life for any human being is to be a servant of the most high God. And we recognize it because you paid the price for us. You redeemed us with your life, with your blood. And we give you all the glory as we remember you in Jesus' name, amen.